Hey everyone, welcome to Expansion Cast. Expansion Cast is a magical podcast I created so people could find simple or unconventional solutions to expand their personal awareness and experience. This podcast is dedicated towards revealing people's divine truth and how that divine truth works its way out into the world one by one, helping liberate each of us on our personal path to freedom. If you love this podcast, please give us a rating and share. So today on the podcast, we have Tara Bianca. She is a love activist, author, teacher, and hypnotherapist. Welcome to Expansion Cast. Thank you. <laughs> and have I missed anything? Well, just a, that's pretty much it. That kind of summarizes it. I, I love to also tell people I'm a... a a tantric initiatrix and um and that gets people asking a lot of questions too mm-hmm. that would I, but i didn't see that on your website no i i don't it's it's on some of my social media so i've, I've got it there and sometimes people pick it up and uh and so it's kind of a, one of those things it's like a little hidden gem every once in a while somebody's like oh what's this <laughs> <laughs> so how have you been i haven't seen you since um that was june Yes, I've been busy. I've been filled with with incredible opportunities to uh, explore, you know, life and consciousness and a bunch of stuff. So it's been it's been incredible. Actually, it's 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 been very fast paced. I feel like we're speeding, you know, through something right now and um, doing my best to to keep up. Just every day, one foot, you know, after the other. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm feeling a bit the same way, but I'm also having uh, moments of peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also feel peaceful during during the process, but it's it's incredible the amount that's being packed into such a what seems to be a short amount of time, and uh, in the ever eternal changing nowness of existence, <laughs> just feels like, you know, it, it reminds me of. Um, I don't know if you like one of those garden things that turn and it it uh, it, it keeps turning and, and it's reflecting light. It's a kind of metallic thing. I don't know if you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, the, the breeze blows it and it spins. Yeah, yeah. it's like one of those. But like when the wind really catches it, it just whips around. Yeah. But to me, it's like like it's like that. It's still it, itself. It's not a whole bunch of things or whatever. It's just it's just it seems like so much more is going on there and and. Um, you know, so that's 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 how my life has been. So I've gone from, you know, I went I went to the Amazon in in August, mm-hmm. and as soon as I got back, then I was doing radio interviews and I was on panels and, um, you know, in combination with with other things that were going on. So it was interesting to to just, you know, work that stuff into my already busy schedule and for it to to actually work out. I, I noticed that I was. Um, getting that done, even stuff on the fly that was coming in. And so it was, it was really, it's been interesting, very interesting. I'd like to know what, uh, where did you, this, all this start? I mean, here you are helping lots of people transform and transition from certain spaces of maybe struggle or, or whatever. Where mm-hmm. did it start for you? started for me at a very young age because it started with my own personal struggle. And so 
for me, I was six and a half years old when I really became conscious of the struggle that I was in. And so I started to ask a lot of questions. I didn't really get any anywhere with those questions when it came to the adults I was, you know, asking questions from. I thought these were wise people and I, I became very aware that that um, they didn't have the answers. And in fact, they I don't even think they've even asked themselves the questions. And there were questions about who am I and what is this existence about? Why are we here? Um, and there were questions I didn't even go to my parents about because I already, at six and a half, already had a really keen sense of my parents and their limitations. And so I, I, I would ask their friends who I thought, oh, they might know, or I'd you know, ask the local priest or whatever else. I'm like, for sure, the priest will know. I mean, the priest is teaching about God. <laughs> and so when I realized that these people didn't know and they felt really uncomfortable with me asking the questions and, and kind of like really tried to push me away when I would inquire, I realized that I had to go inside and start to, to uh, really establish mentorship with the divine. And I, I thought, if God exists, if the divine exists, then I'm, I might as well go to the top because no one seems to know what's going on here. And so that's how I approached it. I'm like, okay, God, if you exist, then, then teach me. And so then I started to get mentored and at a very young age, and I started to get these beautiful teachings that would come in um, most of the time when I was asleep uh, initially. Now they come in, these teachings come in, could be any time. But when I was young, it would come in in the form of dreams and would expand my consciousness. And um, and then I was also very aware of also the suffering of the people around me. So, and I think children are in general, but they don't know really what to do with it. And for me, I had a, an extra bit of insight into it because I was a very strong emotional empath and started to develop psychically. As soon as I started to open the divine, I started to have this psychic ability that started to get stronger and stronger. And so um, I started to really feel the suffering of people and get insight into why they were suffering. And by the time I was 19 years old, I had uh, worked with pretty, um, pretty severe trauma in people. And um, unofficially, I wasn't getting paid for it or anything like that, but people were, were coming to me or just happened, you know, across a scenario or situation where someone was like in incredible agony. And the things that they told me that were happening to them, I had no concept that it was even possible for people to be treated that way or um, for, for situations like that to occur. And then more and more, I started to to attract people, not just even from, you know, where I lived, but when I would travel and they would come and they would share with me incredible stories of suffering and in ways that I had never, ever conceived of. And it was challenging for me, but at the same time, it was part of the teaching that I was, a lot of dark stuff was being revealed to me so that I knew it was, you know, it wasn't just these little isolated things that there's like, a greater illusion, a greater corruption that's happening in the world that's really creating suffering for, for, for people from the top down. And um, and that it 
imprints upon families and communities and nations. And so I had a lot of work to do. I had to clean up my own stuff. I had to clean up my own um, areas that I was suffering and areas that the lies that I had, you know, picked up from my own family and from my own community. And I had to start to transform these things and move myself from, you know, states of suffering that I was experiencing uh, from, you know, overwhelm, anxiety, um, suicidal ideation, depression, a whole bunch of other things that kind of I was experiencing from, well, just the overwhelm of tapping into people's suffering. And then, of course, just the general illusion that I had bought into to some degree with the way that I was raised um, in the community that I was raised in. Um, and it's not a community or family that's that much different than most people's. Um, you know, a lot of us come from neglect, emotional neglect, and parents who were dysfunctional or disconnected emotionally. Um, you know, they're not trying to be bad parents. They just don't know really how to free themselves. They don't even know that they should free themselves. So it makes it really challenging for for parents to be better parents if there's no one mentoring them to do so, or if they've never seen a better job being done by anybody because it wasn't done for them when they were kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was just listening to some music before we got on this call and and it was from the 70s and the song was about um, somebody using alcohol to surrender away from all their pain and suffering. And in that moment, I was like, you know, all our parents were in the 70s. Well, for me anyway. And a mm -hmm. lot of their suffering was happening around then. And, you know, that was their mentor. You know, a lot of their mentors were people that were singing music and all, all sorts of stuff. They didn't have the media and and whatnot that we have today to, you know, dive deeper and, and uh, see so many more alternative methods of healing. That's right. Yeah, that was kind of... The, that was the connection. Uh, we have the internet for connection in, in, in some ways, but um, the, the dissemination of information was was largely by music back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did, you didn't have self-help books. Like it was so rare to have a self-help book in the 70s or 80s. I think in the 80s they started having parenting books, but they, were <laughs> they weren't very great parenting books because they were based on stuff people had learned from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So mm -hmm. it was... Um, Today, there's so much more information. Now, there's so much information to weed through, but at least there's there are resources and and, and help and support in in more ways. So, in your practice, what's the what's the most common struggle you're seeing today? I think the biggest one is the fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. Fear of rejection it permeates all aspects of suffering within people, and the biggest fear people have is separation from between them and their community or them and friends or them and their parents um, or them and the divine. And so if they have a belief that there's something wrong with them or they're not good enough, then they believe it's justified that they'll be rejected. And so from the foundation of their of the lie that they're rejectable, they create incredible um you know, experiences of suffering for themselves because they'll sabotage uh, relationships, they'll sabotage opportunities just to 
try to protect themselves from the very thing they fear. So they, they don't, <laughs> they'll destroy the stuff they want to pr- try to protect themselves from it being taken from them. It's really, you know, it's as simple as that, but it's the way they do it. It's unique. Everyone has a unique way of, of uh, giving into the fears or sabotaging their lives mm-hmm. or unconsciously making choices that gives them the very thing they don't want. And so I would say that fear of rejection and, and that of course stems back to, um, you know, their needs not being met as children and them interpreting that as um, it's because there's something wrong with me instead of them recognizing, Oh, well maybe my, my mom's overwhelmed or maybe my mom has postpartum depression or the ch- children and babies don't know the greater story of what's happening to their parents. Um, or my, maybe my mom just doesn't even know how to do it, you know, rather than it being something wrong with the child. So it's, it's, a cha- it's a challenge for people. And I think it's, t- you know, it's time. I think it's time for people to start waking up and, and at least hearing of the possibility that they are absolutely acceptable just as they are, that they're lovable just as they are, and that everyone else is too. And that's kind of hard for people as well. Like it's hard enough, it's really hard for them to think they are. They can kind of conceive of, of a bunch of other people being acceptable and lovable, but they it's hard for people to conceive that everyone is acceptable and lovable just as they are. And that can create some chaos in their own mind too, because if they have a rule that some action is un, unacceptable and they happen to participate in that kind of action at some point in their life, they'll, they'll actually uncon- unconsciously um, create this rejection within themselves about it. And a good example, uh, I had, I had a man recently who came to me and he had a belief from his early twenties he, he remembers watching a bunch of men that he knew, friends of his, um, always trying to get laid, like that concept. And they were having one night stands and it didn't, it didn't resonate with him. He felt there was something not right with it. And so he, in his mind thought wanting to have sex with women was something wrong. And so then he went into this whole pattern for over, you know, for over 10, 15 years or so where he never would ask for sex from women and not even his partners or long-term partners. He would always wait for them to like initiate. And when we investigated, he's like, I don't know why I just can't do it. And so when we started talking and then he told me the story about these, how he used to judge men for wanting to have sex, his friends. I went, well, I have to tell you, this is so simple to resolve. And he's like, why, how, what? And I said, you have to start celebrating men wanting to have sex with women. You've made it wrong. And because you made it wrong for someone else, your mind applies the same rule for you. And so it won't let you ask for sex because if you do, the moment you do, then you're wrong. And he was like, oh my gosh, like, (laughs) he's like, I, can't believe that. And I said, you have to, you have to always make sure, like if you create some sort of rule in your mind, when you reject or blame somebody or shame somebody or make them wrong about something, you you have to understand your mind is going to, until you release that, those rules, 
your mind is going to take you to task on them. It's going to make sure you follow those rules too. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to just free, just be free of it so quickly just from going, okay, yeah, I can see now. It's like, of course, there's value in men wanting to have sex with women because those women will want to have sex with them too. And I said, and your partner is going to want you to want her. And if you don't want her, she's going to think there's something wrong with me. I'm not attractive enough or he doesn't want me. And, and, and so you're going to cause more chaos. <laughs> and I said, so it's perfectly celebratory to want to have sex with your partner or with a woman or whatever else. And so if you can celebrate other men wanting to have sex with women in a respectful way or not, it really depends on what they choose for themselves. Mm -hmm. Then you can be free to choose for yourself and you can be free to, to want to have sex with your partner. Yes. So, the, the judgment really rings true for a lot of, a lot of the uh, struggles, doesn't it? Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. So where are you in struggles? Are you, do you experience any these days? Um, yes and no. I, I have challenges that come up in my life. Mm -hmm. And there's, it's, it's rare that it affects me in a really disabling type of way. So... If I, if I feel stress about a, a situation, it's pretty temporary. And it may be like hours, maybe, maybe. And that's the extreme. Um, I, my struggles are more self-imposed struggles in that I might not get enough sleep because I'm, I decide to stay up working multiple nights in a row or whatever else, because I'm in the, in the flow of this, you know, beautiful energy and creative energy that's coming through. And then I, there's consequences, right? So there's consequences. I feel tired and I've, I'm less resourceful in a lot of ways, but when I have outsides, uh, things coming in, I'm mostly in a state of, um, of peace, joy, and equanimity. And it's not that I don't feel the force of the other it's that i i know how to stay in the power of me when i'm in it and if i do get pulled out i come back in like it's to me it's a gateway i'm like oh I'm, i've gotten pulled out i need to come back in and i've trained myself over the years to uh, free myself from the influence of other stuff and other people and so because i practice it you know constantly it's like practicing a martial art it just becomes like you know, second nature and it becomes easy to slip back into the power of me if I get pulled out for something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the times where I get a little bit more caught up is if, if I get into an extreme reaction, even if it's like a momentary extreme action uh, reaction, I, the, the thing that gets me back the fastest is by taking immediate responsibility, especially if it involves another person. So if I, if anger flashes or uh, frustration or whatever else, taking responsibility is what really brings me back into the power of myself incredibly quickly. And um, if I don't, then there's a bit more of a struggle to get back into that. And it's not that long. It doesn't take that long. But I, I have recognized over the years just how powerful taking responsibility is. And what's interesting is that when I work with a lot of clients, responsibility is one of those things that repels people. And they associate it with being wrong. 
And I associate it with freedom. And so I think that's why it's so, you know, it works so fast for me when I take responsibility. And taking responsibility could be like, you do something that, you know, is disrespectful to someone else, you, you apologize mm-hmm. and you make it right. Um, if you do something that is, um, you know, hurtful or neglectful, you acknowledge it and you make it right. And um, I, I practice this with everyone, including my really young son. And he's really, I've, I've trained him to, to take me to task. Like if I disrespect him in any way, he has total freedom to tell me. And usually he's like, he's only six, and, but he's been doing this for since he was like able to speak. And I remember one time when he was like a little boy, he's like, mommy, you're speaking meanly to me. And I was, I was like, oh, I'm like, immediately I say, thank you for letting me know. And this is actually interesting because this is, works really well with adults too. Like if somebody says to you, you know, you've hurt my feelings. If you respond with thank you for letting me know as the first response, they relax because it's not easy for them to come to you and let, let you know. I mean, it's really hard to approach somebody if, if someone's been hurt. Yeah, there can be a huge fear of rejection. Right. And yeah. so if you say thank you, then you're saying it's, I'm saying it's okay for you to share with me that I have not been behaving in a way that's, um, you know, the, the way that is uplifting for friends or that mm-hmm. holds, holds the other person in esteem. And then the next thing I say is, so I say, thank you for letting me know. And my son's like, he tells me, I say, thank you for letting me know. What is it that I did? Because I want to know, like, it's one thing for someone to say, you hurt me or you were behaving this way but I want to know precisely what I did so that I can see if maybe they've misunderstood me or, or maybe I, I have done something that I was not even aware of. And so with my son, if I asked him like, what, what did I do? He's like, you, your tone was really mean. And, and I'll say, I'm sorry for my tone being mean. Like he's usually pretty accurate. Like, <laughs> but I remember one time he's like, mommy, you're such a mean mummy. And I said, why? I said, what did I do? I said, thanks for letting me know. What did I do? And he's like, you don't, you wouldn't let me have a second treat. And I went, oh, okay. So, so now I have more information, right? And I can go, well, I'm actually, I'm a really good mommy. And he said, why? And I said, because I care about your health. And if you have a second treat, you're having too much sugar. And that sugar does damage to your cells and your brain and all this stuff. And, and then he put his arms around me and said, mommy, you're the best mommy in the world. And, um, and so there's like a, a shift that happens, right? Because I'm actually inquiring. Whereas some parents might say something like, you know, how dare you say that or get upset with their child for saying that or brush it off or whatever else. Um, I get curious and I get curious with anybody who comes to me and says, Hey, you know, I don't like the way this is or the way this feels. And I want to know because I want to clean up my own stuff so that I can do the work that I need to do in the world. And, and, uh, and so I take it as an opportunity and, and I see responsibility as a blessing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. The, the path that we're on, um, mm-hmm. path of letting go and, you know, transitioning through struggles and limitations and we come across this thing called blissfulness and love. Mm-hmm. And 
do we stay there or is there more beyond that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that there's, I think there's different experiences certainly and there's different stages. And so for me, I remember I used to get caught up in thinking I had to be in a blissful state. Um, I used to chase the dragon. And so after my first uh, taste of, um, of bliss back in the year 2000, I thought if I wasn't in a bliss state, I wasn't enlightened. And so I was actually blocking my own enlightenment uh, because I perceived that it, if it wasn't in this blissful state, that I would, there was something wrong. And so I didn't trust the peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's one aspect of it. And so one of the things that a lot of people don't realize, and this is the same about love too, we think that we have to be in a state of passion or a state of bliss or a state of happiness or whatever else when it comes to love or enlightenment or something like that. And so people question their relationships. They question like, I don't feel like I love this person. Like I don't have a feeling state to go with it. I'm like, well, that's normal. That's actually very natural. The The body itself want, wants to stay in a state of homeostasis. Um, and so even with like high states of consciousness, you might experience a temporary bliss. Sometimes you don't experience any bliss, but there's lots of times where bliss can come with uh, a heightened state of consciousness or state of expansion or, or enlightenment. Um, but the body has to, to get back into a homeostatic state and it doesn't want your heart rate to be elevated or for you to be in, in these states where you're, you're, the chemicals you're experiencing and the euphoria and all that stuff. So it will bring you back to just a normalized state, a very peaceful state. Um, and, and so if you can know that that's going to happen, you can, instead of you dropping out of your, your state where you can even go deeper into it um, because you think there's, you know, something wrong without being in a bliss state, you can, you can go deeper. You can, you can expand your consciousness even more from that place of, I don't even want to call it neutrality, but it is a place that can take you into, um, you know, a state of, you know, as we go into these states of consciousness, we get opened up into like unity consciousness, God consciousness, various things. Um, and different people have different experiences that they label as unity consciousness or God consciousness. And because there's multiple ones, um, but in those states, we can go into a place where we go into nothingness. We go into where there's like no experience, seeming experience. And um, it can be all over the place. And then some, someone's like, oh, well, this is ultimate enlightenment. <laughs> no, there's nothing. Nothing exists. And what's fascinating is in my experience, uh, I've had the experience of incredible, what you would call, paradox in a way where there's it's everythingness and nothingness mm-hmm. simultaneously it's um you know it's this place of of basically being to, able to touch into one point at the same time to be at every point of existence of that one point and so you're like everywhere and one place at the same time or you're everywhere and nowhere or because it's incredible what can can happen when you go into these expanded states of consciousness 
where you can go, okay, that's the ultimate. And then you go, then next time it's like, then the next one's, that's the ultimate. And then you realize it's like, well, they're all just experiences of, it's, it's just like a multi-experiential um, exploration of existence. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Um, just what and you're to get away from labeling or having an idea, it, it looks a particular way. Because I, what I, the other thing I can say is, I I rarely experience the same experience. Like it's it can happen, and I can consistently within my own life be in a place of a state of peace and equanimity and joy, which is really consistent. Um, but when I sit in meditation or when I go into states of expanded consciousness, just spontaneously it's it's a very has a different flavor um a different experience i've never experienced one of my first state of bliss when i went into unity consciousness i've never ever experienced that type of bliss since <laughs> and so for years i mean i think almost over a decade i chased that bliss state i gotta get back to that bliss state <laughs> meanwhile i was having these other incredible experiences but i was like no they're not that awesome because I got to get back to this bliss state. And one of them was I saw myself for the first time, which is phenomenal when you wake up to who you actually are. And I, I, I can't say I completely discounted it because for hours I was just laughing at, at just how ridiculous it was that I had never seen myself before that moment. Um, and, but at the same time, I'm like, but I got to get back to that bliss state, right? That wasn't bliss. Like I got to get into bliss. And so I, I really I blocked myself in some ways from just being present with whatever experience and, and state of consciousness that I was in until I, I, I really touched in for long periods of time into this ongoing persistent peace, joy, and equanimity, which walking it into life consistently interact, while I interact with other people is to me way better than those bliss states that were temporary and they were flash in the pans and um, as amazing as I felt and as expanded as I felt being so present within myself in the power of who I am uh, or in the power of I am um, as I have a conversation with someone or as I walk in nature or as I brush my teeth or as I'm like picking my son up from school that is what I have found to be the most powerful of all the experiences that I've had is to have a consistent state of peace within myself. Mm -hmm. Do you have uh, an explanation of what grace is? Of what? Grace. Grace. The experience oh, yeah. of grace. <laughs> this is a challenging one. I actually write about this, trying to write about this in my book. Mm. Um, because somebody, I mentioned states of grace in my book and my the people who are reading my book um, and editing my book, they're like, what do you mean by grace? And I'm like, oh, do I have to define that? <laughs> yep. I, guess I, I guess I do. Um, I would say state of grace for me or what I perceive it to be is I can't say that I'm the one who allows, this is a really tricky thing to, to describe. I can't say that I'm doing anything when I'm in a state of grace. 
But what I perceive is that there's, there's an invitation happening. And I can't say I'm not doing it. I can't say I am doing it. But there's a, an invitation that seems to be boosted by what I perceive to be the, the creator of, of everything. Now, that's like a whole other conversation. Um, we, what we could call the divine or whatever else. And so when I was a child, the thoughts that I had about existence, the questions I had about existence, I can't even say they were my own questions. It could be by grace, these questions were dropped into my consciousness that I was curious and started asking. And so sometimes grace can be something where you're in a state of grace, but it, it can be not what you think. So it literally could be creative idea pops into your consciousness and then you make a film or you, you know, you write a, a song or um, you're inspired to plan a trip for you and your friends or whatever. Um, it can be very simple, what we consider simple things. It doesn't have to be something extraordinary like, oh, I go into enlightenment. Um, but what I have found is there is a surprise states of grace that I, I didn't even think I was asking for that all of a sudden just spontaneously happen. And sometimes these states of grace are so clever. Like they, it's incredible how they appear and what they reveal and everything else. And I'm just like, I'm just floored. I'm like, well, this is so creative. This is so clever. Like, uh, like this is, you know, for all these pieces to fit in this way, this would take, you know, this is beyond my ability to conceive of this. And so to me, it seems like it's coming from, you know, my higher self or the creator or any and all and above, you know, whatever it is. And so these states of grace are, they're like boosters. And so within the body, we have, you know, the ability uh, through um, enzymes to have these digestive boosts and without them, our body uses up a huge amount of energy to digest food. And so there's a, it's a boon to have food that's rich in enzymes. And if not, to supplement with enzymes to be able to have these super booster, uh, uh, you know, helping, help, the super boosters of enzymes helping, helping digestion. So you don't have to tax your body by digestion. It's the same spiritually. I feel like there's these super boosters that happen where all of a sudden you're taken into this stream of consciousness that just like, you know, has you like, you know, going somewhere you never expected. Um, and you're not really going somewhere. You're like more present than ever, but your, your consciousness is like right. and experiencing um, things that never seemed possible, never there. So I, I find it, it quite fascinating uh, I feel immense gratitude when I go into states of grace or when grace blesses me with um, creative ideas or um, I, I'm very fortunate when I work with clients, I actually go into, you could say I could go and I go into states of grace. Um, you can call it other stuff too. Like I open to become a channel for those people and information comes through me for them. But the, the teachings that come in through through me for them 
I'm taught. They're not, like, I'm surprised. Sometimes I'll have literally words coming out of my mouth that say, there's three things that you need to know. And I wouldn't even know what those three things are. And they just drop in one after the other. And I'm like, wow, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm being taught at the same time. And to me, that's grace. Like, <laughs> it's not me. I tell people, like, it's not me doing it. Like, I'm, it's me allowing this, the state to come in mm-hmm. or allow my, allowing myself to be in that state. Being and, in surrender. Yeah. 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 So I, lots of gratitude. Lots of gratitude. I I find uh, the grace for myself is when I'm complete, my consciousness is wide open. Mm -hmm. I am conscious of the potential of every moment, like down to every like thing that I can't even perceive. And all the bliss, the love, all that energy is all there at the same time. Mm -hmm. For me, sometimes that, that experience can be just about overwhelming. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. When you go into those states, I'm, I've been, I remember times where I've gone into one time when I, I actually asked the divine, I said, you know, I really want to touch into love that you feel for me. And I, it, it happened so quickly. And I, I approached, I was approaching that experience, that state and I, I was so overwhelmed. I just started to cry, and uh, and I, I made the request as much as I can bear. That's what it was. As much mm-hmm. as I can bear, revealed to me, and I, I was taken to my edge. It was the love was so profound. It was so rich. It was so permeating. It was incredibly intense. And so I feel, <laughs> I feel blessed but i could tell i was just on the it was like i was touching the hem of of a piece of fabric that you know i was not i was barely you know experiencing it and it was it was incredibly intense Mm -hmm. yeah those are beautiful i i love those moments yeah and uh yeah they can be uh, they can be addicting (laughs) and you're right Mm -hmm. right we can spend our lives trying to reproduce whatever moments happened to lead us up to that that yes. experiencing grace but you know uh, one of the things around grace that that i found is that because i feel like i'm in a state of grace most of the time this is really you know i feel blessed for this but the way i really enter into it um consistently is when i go out into the field of existence (laughs) where people are walking around or driving or whatever else when i can allow myself to see with the with the eyes of truth and what i mean by that is that as much love that the divine has for me the divine has for everyone else and so i asked i asked to see the beauty of people and so when i go out it doesn't matter what anybody looks like or whatever else i want to i want to i want to see their beauty. I want it to be revealed to me. So I surrender to their beauty. And so I, when I walk around, I just feel so joyful a lot of the time. Um, you know, just looking at people, just listening to people talk, um, just watching their actions, their nuances, just even looking at like the wrinkles in their face or, you know, their freckles or whatever else and, and the beauty of it all being revealed to me. And, and so it can take me into these beautiful states just by 
surrendering to the beauty of of everyone and everything. And it can even be like rust on the side of a car or a pile of laundry or, um, you know, a pile of garbage even. Mm -hmm. It can be art. It can be, there can be so much beauty, the lines, the colors and, and everything else. Yeah, I think that's uh, a big difference when when we move from a state of judgment into a state of being able to just observe and experience mm -hmm. every moment for what it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. Just flow with everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, judgment's a really corrupting energy mm -hmm. and state of consciousness. Um, people think that they're doing something good. Not they're not conscious of it. They, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to be judgmental, but they but some aspect of them does because it's protecting them in some way. It's like it's a way to teach themselves. Oh, I that person shouldn't do that, which means I shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Somebody taught them you shouldn't do that, and so now they're taking that rule and they're telling all, everybody else in the world who's doing that not to do that. Um, with their own mind and they're torturing themselves with it because nobody can, you know, hear really what they're saying. Um, and so they, they get themselves in these, and basically they get annoyed and they create stress within their body and unrest within their mind because they want to somehow perfect the world or make things better or perfect that person or whatever else. And you can't do it. And it becomes a, a big struggle for, for other people. And then, especially if you're in a relationship, you know, with a partner or a child and you extend your judgments to them, it causes incredible chaos in relationships. Mm -hmm. So what are, what are some judgments you've let go of that you find yourself curiously amused um, when you find yourself picking up um, just new ways of exploring the world or being? Yeah. Well, um, I used to, I used to have a very strong judgment about how people did things like, like cleaning, like it was like kind of a weird thing, not how clean their house was or not. I didn't care about that. Um, which is interesting because that I would have this other one, but how they, if they clean something, how they cleaned it. And I was I, I I would have to walk out of a room. It was a really weird trap that my mind had, and I think it, it came from my dad was very he was uh, quite autocratic, and I think I picked up the, this way of being in my own mind like it has to be done this way, and um, and so what's interesting is I have up on my fridge. I don't even look at it very much because I, I don't need to anymore, but from like years ago. And it's, it's basically, it's a sentence. How would you do it? And I, when I realized that I had this, it was like such a strange, you know, mental judgment that I had. I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter how anybody does it. <laughs> In fact, I want to get curious as to how somebody else is going to do it. And so that's what I started to train my mind is, no, we're looking to find out how somebody else does it because I'm going to get curious so I can learn. Maybe there's like a million different ways to, to do this one thing. Maybe there's only 10,000 ways. Maybe there's only 10 ways, but I'm going to be curious and I'm going to watch and observe all the ways that any person does this one thing or these, this similar action. And it freed me. It freed me from thinking things have to be done one way. 
And I think a lot of, there's a lot of people out there, especially perfectionists, um, people who are highly judgmental that have these, these uh, behaviors that limit them and actually create a prison for them in some ways. And also really contribute to their relationships going downhill because the other people cannot stand that, that level of pressure that things have to be done exactly the way that you know other person wants them to be done and so it was kind of a, a unique way for me to, to do that but I think the biggest thing is coming into the consciousness that everybody gets to choose how they're going to be whether it's Donald Trump or whether it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your child or your, a teacher or your neighbor, we we're all given free will by God, by the divine. And so if the divine allows for everything that exists, because it wouldn't exist if, if, if God didn't allow it. Um, so if God allows for everything that exists to exist, then why are we on an individual basis going, no, that's not acceptable or you're not acceptable because you're doing that. Um, there's certainly, there's consequences to all our actions. Um, there's no doubt about it. And yet, and yet we are given free will to choose whether we're going to murder someone or we're going to um, mentor someone or whether we're going to create something or destroy something. It doesn't matter. We are given free will to experience life as we choose to experience it with of course, within the confines of whatever rules we make up for ourselves while we live here. Um, it doesn't mean that somebody's actions are okay in the sense of that everything should be should be allowed um, without consequences. That's not the case. We have, you know, we also have free will to decide, you know what, murder is not something we want to participate with in this society. And so we're choosing to have consequences for murder. And these are the consequences. So if you're found to be, you know, to have murdered someone, this is what's going to happen. And so that's our collective free will. Um, and so we get to choose what kind of society we're going to have. And yes, it would be awesome if we all chose to have, you know, supportive, loving, uh, you know, interactions with each other, but we are all learning. We're learning, as humanity, we're learning as individuals. And so just like, you know, children misbehave, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, um, and they learn from misbehaving, we too, which the, we're, we're learning, we're learning how to, to create in this existence, and we're, we make mistakes. And if we can learn from those mistakes, we suffer less, if we can take responsibility for those mistakes, we suffer less. Um, and, but we, we're given the opportunity to make the mistakes so that we can learn and we can decide, you know what, that doesn't feel good, but this feels good. And that creates suffering for a bunch of people. I don't want that. So I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do this other thing instead to like that supports people and, and, you know, nourishes people. And so we, we need to first take responsibility for ourselves and find all the ways that we use our own will to create suffering for ourselves and for other people, clean that up and then be patient with everybody else who's coming to that same realization. Cause I can tell you before I became conscious, I was making lots of mistakes and nobody came in and said, you're like, you're bad, you're rotten, you're evil, you're this, you're that. 
um, you shouldn't exist or anything. I was given free will to make those mistakes that caused myself harm and caused other people harm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that I know better, I do better. And it's a kind of famous Oprah quote, but (laughs) (laughs) you could, um, you could still be making mistakes though. Yeah. And then, and of course I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect in it by any stretch. If you don't know the mistakes you're making, how, how do you stop yourself until you know? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the other aspect is like, so you, what you do is you pay attention. You pay attention to outcomes. You pay attention to states of how you feel. You pay attention and you surrender. You surrender to the unknown places where you're stuck to the divine to allow for transformation to happen. And sometimes you know you're stuck in some some ways and that you're making mistakes and you don't know how to get out of it. It could be addiction. It could be, um, it could be an unresolved conflict. Well, the truth is, is all addiction comes from unresolved conflict. But like even this summer, when it came to sex, I had this old fantasy from like twenty years ago pop up in my mind one time, and I was and I was like, whoa, gosh, I forgot that that was there. And I was I said to my mind, like, no, we're not going to go there because I don't want to strengthen this, but thank you for letting me know that's there. I need to clean this up. And, um, and cause it wasn't in alignment with, you know, what it is I want to create in, in my life and what I want to share with someone when it comes to, to Tantra. And so I, I have spent like months addressing it and I feel like some like grace came in recently and went, okay, I'm going to make this a little bit easier for you because you've been doing all this work and whatever else. And now I'm just going to like take this away. And I'm like, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) That was helpful, but it's probably because I, of all the, you know, the, the choices I made and the work I chose to do and, and everything else. And then all of a sudden it just, there was a shift that occurred and, um, and I feel blessed by that. It's not easy when, when you have certain um, ways the brain is wired to, to unwire the brain, to unsee what's been seen um, or unfeel what's been felt in a way that um, brings healing. So, mm-hmm. I have a question about around um, creating and manifesting and surrendering mm-hmm. and observing. How, you know, they, they seem like very opposite that they belong to opposite ends of the spectrum. And how can we be a creator and manifester um, out of free will if we are supposed to surrender and be observing? Right. Um, I think that manifestation, this actually came recently as a divine transmission that um, I was touching on the topic of I forget what, gosh, I really wish I remember what it was, but basically what happens with manifestation is very simple. I guess the simplest way that I could describe it is this. If you think of a child who's learning to walk, actually, let's even go before that. If you think of a child who's just been born and they don't really have control over their, their hands and their arms, their hands and arms will move for sure, but it's not like they, they actually can say, oh, I want my hand to come to my mouth. Not originally, not initially when they first are born. And what ends up happening is very quickly they learn this, but it takes them some time. 
and they learn to bring their hand to their mouth, but they may miss their mouth. They, like their hand may actually go past their face or it may bump into their forehead or it may, you know, they can go in very various places because they're coming into this existence the, the, as of the soul that they are coming into the body vehicle and they're learning how to uh, get their hand to their, to their mouth. Or maybe you don't even know what their mouth is yet. They're like learning these things, but very quickly when they get success, they're like, Oh, okay, well now I'm going to try and replicate that. And they try and do it again until they become really proficient at it. Then they start to grab toys and bring the toys to their mouth and explore the toys with their mouth. Um, and they do this and then they progress and then they start to try to walk and they basically become proficient at basically managing the body to be able to do lots of things, including walk. But to get to that point, they have to practice, 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 practice. Manifestation is like that too. So there's an, an element where we, we are actually manifesting all the time. So you can, it doesn't matter what, whether you're surrendered or not, there's still manifestation happening. Um, but the way you manifest and your, the, and your awareness of your manifestations and your conscious manifestations, that's very different. When, when you become so proficient that you, you can walk without thinking about walking or bike without thinking about biking or, um, you know, catch a ball in, when it comes to you in the air without even thinking about doing it. Um, you know, if you, if you threw a ball into a room full of baseball players, so, someone is going to reach up, if not all of them, like if it, it comes toward them, whoever comes toward first, they're just going to reach up and grab it. They're not going to sit there and let it go by them because they're so, their body is so responsive to catching balls. And it might they may not even consciously register it until they, the ball's in their hand. And for us, we're constantly manifesting and we're not conscious of it. It's like an ongoing thing. It's just part of existence. Whatever shows up in your life is what you are manifesting. But when you, when you rest and when you go into surrender, you can, you can start to see and you can start to become aware of of the way you're manifesting, especially to become reflective. But if you align yourself with what I call divine will or a great, the greater, you know, um, creator, <laughs> I, 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 these are limited ways of describing, like these are nameless, this is a nameless thing I'm trying to name, but when you surrender to it, you, you actually receive divine inspiration and then you can manifest things even greater than what you've been manifesting. <laughs> and so instead of using your own will, you can receive inspiration and then use your will to go in that direction. So you're still using your will. You're still choosing like, yeah, I like that inspiration. That's better than what I would have come up with. And so I'm going to choose that inspiration and because that looks amazing. And so surrendering is in the place of, you know what? The ego mind cannot create. It doesn't have the ability to do anything except for regurgitate. And so if you need a solution, if you want to be creative, if you want to do something profound, then you need to go into surrender because it's only through divine inspiration that something new 
will come in. Otherwise, it's just the old stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know what I think? I think that um, today maybe Tara has been working on her book and she's missing maybe a little paragraph. And a few weeks ago, Roger reached out to do a podcast. And <laughs> in today's podcast, she probably said something that may have inspired her to finish that paragraph in her book. Yeah, that's right. You actually did very wrong. <laughs> but you want to know something, Roger? This is so fascinating. Because I, I, I actually, I, I can't say I finished my book in the spring, although technically I finished the first main draft of my book. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been putting off editing it for most of the summer, and then I'm, now I'm working on it. But what I can say is since the book, which was a divine inspiration, came through me, um, as I was writing it, I would hear something on the radio, like this, this one guy, his name is Jean Vanier, and he passed away in the spring. And I'm like, who's this Jean Vanier? And they started to, to talk about how he had um, basically created these places around the world where people with severe um, developmental disabilities could go and live in peace and harmony with uh, people who were developmentally uh, okay. And what he found was that the people who had um, developmental disabilities, they actually blessed the people who were allegedly abled, developmentally abled. Mm -hmm. and, and because the disabled ones were accepting the abled ones. And this sounds kind of like a strange thing. Like, what does that mean? And what it means is the abled people were not accepting of themselves. Like even though they had the ability, the cognitive ability that the others didn't, they were still not accepting of themselves or highly judgmental of themselves. And what these people found, these able people found, was that the disabled people were loving them unconditionally, and it just broke their hearts open. And it was such a profound thing that he noticed that he expanded it into other areas in the world. But he himself was profoundly changed. Like he was the first one probably changed by his own project. And he, I think he was a psychologist or something like that um, originally. And then he went and, and did this project. And then he lived among these people who had these disabilities. And he set it up so that they were in their own spaces and that they could make decisions for themselves. And they weren't being cared for by a, a developmentally abled people. They were living with them. And it was a very different thing. So they, they had a vote and everything. And he said they, as a community in these places, they would, they would always share at least one meal together. And he would go in and, and eat, always eat with them. And um, he received in 2015 um, a prize for his work for this. But it was really profound. And I thought, my goodness, this needs to be in my book because I'm talking about love activism. This is a man who... You know, he received some sort of inspiration to create uh, a place for people to go that where they could be honored, and he made it happen. He used his free will to make it happen. And so we have that ability to allow divine inspiration to say, hey, this, would, this might be a great experiment. This might be something you, you would like to do and, and to take it and put it into action. But that's my book has been all divine inspiration and from experiences like talks, discussions. So today is, is no different. Like I've, I feel, feel really blessed 
to to be covering some of this, you know, and receiving some of this information and sharing it in a way that that can uh, definitely fit into my book. Mm -hmm. You know, I was talking to a friend yesterday about a lot of this stuff, and um, she uh, and I, the question come up around about um, how do I, you know, what makes me move in life? You know, what, what makes me um, be active? Mm -hmm. You know, and I thought about it for a few minutes. I said, divine inspiration and surrender. Both of those things make me active. The rest mm -hmm. of the stuff I do is, you know, if, it, it's, if it's not including those two things, is really um, feeding myself and, you know, doing all the basics that I need to do mm -hmm. just to support myself. And surrender has been huge for me and has helped me transition from so much struggle that actually yesterday was an interesting, an interesting moment happened where I was out volunteering and we wear these big yellow coats and we're volunteering with the homeless, picking up used needles and different things and handing out water. And we're walking down a main street. We had finished, finished handing everything out. And um, for some reason, my attention went to this car and this driver took his hands off the steering wheel and he physically put his one one arm over top of his um, other arm and then gave me the finger and was like beating his arm and giving me the finger while his car is starting to drift sideways. And he didn't even care about the car. He was so angry that we were out helping these people. And at one time in my life, that would have really triggered me. Yeah. And you would have brought up some anxiety and, you know, whatever else. And I watched him go by and I was like, wow, that was interesting. Yeah, interesting. Was, that's, that's, that's the way the, where you get where you get to when you are in a place of just awareness in life. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I could see him like moving all over in the car. He was so angry. And I was like wow, that, you know, it's curious to be in this place where I am now. That's mm -hmm. beautiful. And I just went on. And, and that, but this same time, I briefly talked to a lady walking outside of this building and she had a whole bunch of tension. I could just feel it going through her, some whole bunch of anxiety and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I walked across the street, got in my car and she got in her car and her tension was, from my point of view, was ready to burst. And what happened was she backed her car up and a pickup truck like completely demolished the back of her car. And that's what it took to break her. Yeah. And she got out of her car just bawling and letting go of all that energy mm -hmm. instead of mm -hmm. finding places to go. But I mean, I host circles and I'm, I'm sure there's circles everywhere that mm -hmm. help people move beyond these points of tension. Yeah, I think that's important. Like a lot of people don't, they don't take care of themselves and it builds up within them and, and then it can come out in strange ways. And it doesn't have to be where it comes out in a way that gets them to just violently stop. Mm -hmm. um, it can be much more gentle and much more loving, and but it really takes for us to take care of ourselves. And you know, I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm, I'm thinking about the last you know four nights that I have been up late at night. I have to take care of myself. I'm responsible, and 
you know, I can see how if, you know, even tonight, if I, if I don't get enough sleep tonight, how easily it could be that it can affect my immune system or do whatever else, right. To kind of go, you know what, you have to, you have to honor the body. And so we do, we have to honor the body when stress is filled up or we don't get enough rest or not enough food or too much food or it doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And after yesterday, after I've seen those things, I was like, am I just detached? <laughs> you know, am I just not feeling right now? And then I got a, I got a text saying that, uh, my ex-wife's grandmother was in the hospital and she's only had 72 hours left mm -hmm. and I was really close to her and then I could feel you know my heart opening and yeah now, a lot of people think that um when they get into when somebody gets into neutrality um that there's something wrong with that mm -hmm. and even for me I don't respond in the way that a lot of people do so I because of the, my state of consciousness being in consistent peace and equanimity uh, most of the time when somebody does die, I don't, I don't receive it or experience it in the same way that other people do in that I don't believe in like a, an end. Um, and I don't believe that it's a bad thing. You know, where, where I do get caught up in, of course, is like if, if, you know, if a friend of mine was to die and I wasn't able to, you know, go out for dinner with them or go dancing with them, then I would, I would miss that experience. But I'm so fortunate. I'm so blessed to to uh, to actually connect with people beyond death. That when they die, sometimes I feel even closer with them than when they were living, because I don't have we don't have the dynamics that existed before. And so it's it's interesting when you go into these states of consciousness and you go into what people might consider neutrality. Um, there it, there isn't the old suffering that exists. And, and of course it's going to be, there's going to be different things that trigger different people, even around death. Like I have no idea how I would respond if my son died in relationship to like my cousin dying or my friend dying or whatever else. So who knows along that spectrum until you're faced with it, you know, and, and you have your experience, we may have greater attachments to one person than another. Um, we just don't know how we're going to, to react to whatever experience we may be faced with in life. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your new book that you're writing. When's it coming oh, out? Uh, the book's coming out. Well, it was it's scheduled. I was hoping it would would be ready for October 21st, and then it's that's coming up very fast. So uh, I'm not quite sure if I'm going to have everything ready for them. So I, I'm hoping this fall. We'll say this fall and. Uh, and so I'm pushing toward October 21st. And so the book is um, it's called The Flower of Heaven. And it's about opening the divine heart through conscious friendship. And so it's based on a teaching that the divine gave me about uh, surrendering to uh, the beauty of each other and, and being of service. And so it's from that place of, you know, to do that, you have to be, you have to be in a certain state of consciousness. And to, to cultivate that state of consciousness, you have to practice certain mindsets. So for example, accepting people instead of being judgmental or um, loving people unconditionally, like loving them no matter what they do, no matter who they are, 
um, no matter what they say or, or anything. And that's a really challenging thing for a lot of people is to, to be in that place where they, they can love someone unconditionally. Like even if somebody murders someone to still love them, even if somebody like, like Donald Trump, like that's a really hard thing for people who are against Donald Trump is to just love him unconditionally. Are we, are you crazy? (laughs) You know? And so I'm saying, yes, absolutely. Like he gets to choose how he's going to be, even if he chooses to be someone who is hurtful to other people, that's his choice. And loving somebody unconditionally doesn't mean having a feeling state of love or what we might consider a feeling state of love. Unconditional love is a state of consciousness. It comes from wisdom and compassion. It comes from a deeper understanding of really what's going on here. And when we're in that state of unconditional love, it allows us actually to expand our consciousness. It allows us to actually tap into consistent peace, equanimity, and joy on a consistent basis. But it's not always easy to love everyone. I I know for me, I was very fortunate. I came into it by grace after I had an experience of nearly dying. And when I say this to people, they're like, like literally dying? I'm like, yes, like of a broken heart. I was in such suffering, um, you know, with all of my empathic ability was so overwhelming. And when stuff started to go down, and it's always going down around the the world, but uh, when I was at the height of my openness empathically, I, it was the crushing suffering that I felt uh, was unbearable. I could, couldn't even function. I was like on the floor most of the time wailing. And my family was like, what is going on? And, um, and I was, I just could not, I couldn't, I couldn't physically survive it. And it brought me to, to my knees. And I was incredibly passionate in my pleas to the divine. And, uh, but I wasn't asking for my suffering to be taken away. I was asking for the suffering of the world to be taken away, which is a big ask, <laughs> but I didn't understand what, why suffering is here. I, I just thought, God, come on now, you can do anything take it away, but I didn't understand free will. And so the divine basically showed me just here, try this. And it was the understanding of why people suffer. And when I went into understanding, I had, I had this incredible compassion and unconditional love and it freed me from the suffering, but I still was learning in it. Like I was, you know, the divine had revealed this to me. It was like, that's a state of grace just to receive that divine transmission and to be taken into unconditional love. But I had to maintain it. I had to, to strengthen it and nourish it. And there were parts of my life that were really challenging. Like my mother was probably the last person that I went into unconditional love for. And it was only 10 years ago. And this other stuff happened like 25 years ago. I see a change in you from the last time I seen you. And maybe it's me. I don't know. But I see a lot more radiance in you. Um, I know when you're talking about your book and you're talking about different things, you really light up. And yeah, yeah, it's just beautiful to see. You're so excited. Thank you. Yeah, no, I feel much more radiant on a consistent basis. Like 
And I think it has a lot to do with uh, what happened when I was in the Amazon. And because when I came back from that, I was, that's when I was like, I was like, wow, I just feel like this is, you know, no matter how much I'm doing, I'm consistently feeling like I have so much energy and I feel really powerful and peaceful and energized. And so, and it's interesting. One of the things that happened, I think that opened up this channel of like energy and joy was the forest would dance me all the time. And one time it danced me uh, 12 hours in a row, almost nonstop. And the whole time I was surrendered. We talked about surrendered earlier. I was, I wasn't dancing. I was being danced and I was resting as I was, I was being danced at the same time that I was resting. The forest was teaching me this happened two nights of 12 hours. And then one other night of I think eight or eight and a half hours nonstop. And people, the people that I traveled with, they would go to bed at like 12 or one in the morning and they would come back and I would still be on the Torero dancing. And they were like, have you gone to bed? I'm like, no. Like, have you stopped? No. (laughs) And it would be past sunrise. It'd be like nine o'clock in the morning. And I was still being moved by the forest and being taught the whole time that I was, that I surrendered and was being moved. The forest was teaching me profound teachings it was quite amazing. And people were like, how, how did, can you do it? How can you dance for so long? And I said, if I, if I was dancing, I might be able to last two hours at that because it's like very vigorous dancing. It's like almost like martial arts. And I like if, and, and so I learned, I think, and I think that's why I'm like, I can work so much and do so much and still be in this place of rest and feel energized and um, this is from this place of like, I'm just surrendered in whatever it is I'm doing, whether I'm speaking with you now or whether I'm sitting with a client for six hours straight or whether I'm like editing my book for eight hours straight or whatever, whatever it is. Um, I just am resting at the same time. That's awesome. Are you so would you recommend that everybody run to the jungle, Amazon jungle and do ayahuasca ceremonies or do you no. need to be called? <laughs> <laughs> no, mainly because they don't have the capacity. They're like, they're, they're, it would be an environmental catastrophe if everybody did that. Um, I think that part of it is you, one of the things is that I actually connected with the Amazon before I went to the Amazon so deeply that I thought I don't even need to go. Like I feel really connected, but I had all everything planned anyway. So I went and it was really beautiful. Certainly if someone feels inspired to go, then they then find a way to go. But there's only so many times of the year you can really go and, and have a, a reasonable experience of it because they have their rainy season and um, the mosquitoes are unforgiving, um, you know, even in the dry season, let alone the rainy season. And they are, they, a lot of their encampments are in flooding areas. And so then they're prone to flooding and everything else. So, there's a window from spring till fall, you know, probably around like March, April to like October, November. Um, and so there, and then they can only open up the space um, to so many people at one time. Like we were a group of 20 
And that's all they, they have the capacity for. And uh, it was by invitation. So they, they're, there are other tribes, like we, I went to see the Yuwanawa tribe, but there are other tribes and, and they have openings and they pr- might have websites that more people can go and people can check it out. But We're pretty much out of time, Tara. Maybe just share how people can get a hold of you and you know, maybe why they want to get a hold of you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the best way to get a hold of me is um, through my website, which is tarabianca.com. And... The, probably the best reasons to get a hold of me is that, well, one, one of the things that I offer when you go to my website is a, actually a guided meditation called Healing Blessings of the Amazon Forest. I did that today. Yeah, did you like it? I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool, yeah. It's it's kind of a neat little guided meditation. And, um, and so that's something that you can get for free. But if you go to my YouTube channel and you can access it through my website, there's a bunch of videos and there's going to be more videos coming out all the time. Um, and then certainly get a hold of me for my, to get my book. The book's, I think a really good book in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly the scribe for it. Um, there's some of my writing in it, but, uh, but at least half of it is just me scribing uh, divine transmission. So um, it's, it's really beautiful. And um, I think that it can help a lot of people really learn ways to open up. And part of that is that most people in the world have not had really good mentors. And I've been fortunate because I've had the divine mentoring me. And that has made all the difference in my life. And I high, highly recommend to people, like, if you want to be mentored by anyone or anything or go to the top go to the divine for sure but if you do want some mentorship from another human being you choose a mentor who's living in the way that you would like to live and if you want to have peace in your heart and joy and and um, celebration then you need to choose a mentor that has those things so you can learn what is it that they know and then same with anything you know when it comes to for my clients whether it's they want to have amazing sex or they want to have uh, deep intimacy with their partner, or they want to like have a really healthy relationship with their children, or they want to feel really good about the work they're doing. It doesn't matter. If you don't know what's possible, then how could you attain to it? Mm-hmm. If you don't know that amazing sex is absolutely attainable for you, then how would, how would you even get there? You don't even know that that city exists or that town exists. And so it's really helpful to have someone who's, who kind of points the way and say, hey, you know what, there's this place that you can go to, it's called Amazing Sex. And, you know, to get there, you have to like release this blockage. Um, you have to learn this skill. Um, you have to open to this mindset. And so the benefit of connecting with me is that that's what I'm doing. I'm guiding people on a, on a, an individual basis through, you know, sessions with me or in group situations where whether it's through a book or a video or through a program or whatever else to go, let's find out what's really possible for ourselves and take the steps to get there. Yeah, I think that's it. So maybe we, uh, let's, uh, let's get together another time. We'll talk about Tantra. Sure. Sounds good. Tara and Tantra next time. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. This podcast is Expansion Cast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.